Welcome into the best in paranormal podcasting. This is Darkness Radio. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. It is a Supernatural News Wednesday. We may be down one co-host. He may be down there in the bayou uh, practicing eating as much jambalaya with his beer as possible, but that doesn't mean we're co-hostless. No, 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 no. We have the co-hostess with the mostest. We have the original. We have the one that knocks it out of the park every single time. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, here she is, Mally Fox. Hi, Mally. <laughs> Hello. Hi. How you doing? <laughs> Fine. Thanks for the buildup. Like, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's the ring announcer. And then you're like, Mally Fox. Wah, wah. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I have one of those in here, here too. One of those. Yeah. yeah there we go. There you go. Uh, no, no, no. It's the ring announcer in me. I got to, you know. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta hype you up somewhat. So, you know, I there's, know. There's that. Thank you. <laughs> sure, absolutely. It's my pleasure. Well, you, you know, I, I, you got a certain amount of hype you got to come with, you know, and in, in mm-hmm. these days and ages. If I just said, "Oh, here's my Fox," people would be like, "What's with the low energy there, bud?" Well, then you need to come up with a theme song for me. Oh yes. So you play it in the background. Be like, ah, ah. Like with the WWE when they're walking down and oh, they got flames true. behind them. Yeah. Cool songs. I only have one 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 song and we No, use, you're laughing. What we is use it, it for something else. It says right here. It, it's it's between the sheets by the Isley brothers, and oh, I don't think nah. that no, that doesn't work. Yeah. And we use that for a sexy time feature on our program at It's sexy time. Yeah, that that <laughs> I don't know that that works all that well. Uh, All right, well, f- we'll come up with one. Yeah, we'll figure out a theme song. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we'll, we'll come up with that. I, I mean, Bruiser has his own theme, but that's a that's a Ring of Honor thing. Mm. Yeah, well, we'll come up with one for you. Okay. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, on today's show, Mally, boy, do we have a lot uh, going on. Uh, Avi Loeb is back in the headlines. He, uh, he claims he's done it. He's discovered uh, alien life. Oh, okay. Yeah, and, and he did it within the 28 days he said he would, so we'll talk about that today. Uh, AI, of course, back in the news. Uh, When's well, it not in the news? I feel like it's always in the news. A couple weeks ago, we had an AI-less uh, newscast. What? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I know. We'll meet Apollo, the humanoid robot, today. Mm. So you're like, mm. Well, as long as it's not that freaky one that does the fl- the flamethrowing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, remember that one? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll try to stay away from him. We'll also tell you how robots are pouring drinks in Vegas. That could be fun. Oh, yes, most yeah. definitely. Yeah, so maybe the upside? Yeah, hopefully it has a heavy pour. Oh, yeah, wouldn't that be fun? Uh-huh. Okay, there could be an upside to robots. You just you yes, just pointed exactly. that out. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll talk about buying haunted houses today. In the yes. True, yeah. The That's true, my jam. The true dark story behind a haunted mansion for sale. Okay. We've got that coming up on today's show. Uh, dinosaur footprints emerged in a severe drought in Texas. We'll tell you about that. That was actually reported by a mainstream news source. Okay, cool. Yeah, so that's none of that there imaginary news sources. And we'll end the day today with some pet stories, Mal. Um, we've got one not-so-nice pet. Actually, there's a vet out there that is encouraging pet owners. I know you've heard the story before, folks, but we're going to talk about when you put your pets down, why you should not just leave them with the vet and walk away. Nope. We're going to talk about that for a quick moment here. And then uh, the final story today, we're going to meet, so- we're going to meet Storm, the doggie who showed up at a Metallica concert. 
Oh, I saw that where it was sitting in the seat. Yeah, in the stadium, that was cute. Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about Storm, uh, who had the best time ever at a Metallica concert. So that's that's how we're gonna end the show today. So there you go. Uh, but we're gonna start it on a uh, on a little bit of a sad note today, Mel. Uh, it turns out that uh, an alien abductee from the seventies, uh, at least he claimed he was abducted by aliens, Calvin Parker. Uh, who was abducted by aliens in Pascagoula, Mississippi, has died. He claimed he was abducted in 1973. Uh, he is, uh, again, Calvin Parker, the Pascagoula man known around the world for his tale of alien abduction, died last week. According to a friend of the family, Parker passed away August 24th uh, after a long battle with kidney cancer. He was at home surrounded by loved ones, including his wife, Wynette. Uh, the night of August 11th, 1973, something happened on the banks of the Pascagoula River that Calvin Parker and Charles Hickson would spend the rest of their lives trying to explain. It's a story well known to locals that WLOX News has reported on numerous times over the years. Hickson and Parker both wrote books about it, as a matter of fact. The two men were fishing near Ingalls Shipyard when they said they suddenly heard a piercing sound and spotted a large UFO hovering uh, behind them. There were three beings on board that carried the men onto the spaceship to examine them. After about 30 minutes, they were returned to the riverbank and the UFO took off. Parker and Hickson tried to report what happened to officials at Kessler Air Force Base, but the military directed them to the Jackson County Sheriff's Office. Investigators there had a cassette tape recording as the men talked about their alien encounter the night that it happened. WLOX News shared excerpts from those tapes when they were rediscovered in the late 90s and early 2000s. Uh, after the mysterious abduction, Hickson and Parker both passed lie detector tests and were even questions, or questioned under hypnosis. Investigators are on record saying the pair's stories never wavered. Despite that, they were ridiculed and doubted by many. That's what kept Maria Blair from coming forward for 45 years. On that same October night, Blair was near the river waiting for her husband, Jerry, to leave on a boat to work offshore. Jerry fell asleep and Maria saw a strange blue light streaking back and forth. She didn't think much of it at the time until the next day when she heard about Parker and Hickson's story. When she would talk about it, I would tell her to shut up. People are going to think you're crazy, said Jerry Blair. In 2019, after seeing a media report about the abduction, Blair finally got the courage to come forward. Uh, she said her motivation was to give Calvin Parker and Charles Hickson's story validation. That same year, the city of Pascagoula, the Jackson County Historical Society and Main Street Pascagoula, erected a historical marker at Lighthouse Park, which describes the event of that night. Hickson died in 20, uh, 2011 and wouldn't get to see that marker, which describes the encounter as America's best documented, I'm sorry, best documented case of alien abduction. But Parker was there and told WLOX News just how much it meant to finally be recognized after years of being ridiculed. He said, quote, it is emotional for me. I can't really, really describe it because I would break out in tears if I do. Parker said that in 2019. He also went on to say, I wish when I die, I could be buried right here underneath this plaque. That would explain it best. It is quite an honor. So there you go, Mel. Mm. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's sad that it took that long for... 
for Calvin's story to be recognized and, and him not to be ridiculed for an event like that. But at, mm-hmm. at least he got some vindication at the end. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, let's move on, Melly. The Pentagon has a new UFO website that lets you explore declassified sightings info. We had talked a little bit about it last week. But at the time, it was being reported in the mainstream media, but there was no website that was mentioned in the story. Uh-huh. I, I don't know if they didn't want to get overwhelmed with, with, uh, with traffic or they didn't want the site to crash. Uh, there's a little more out there now. Eventually, people will be able to submit their own reports of unidentified anomalous phenomena. Do, 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 do. Um, <laughs> Sorry, you know, I haven't hit that button in the longest time because, uh, you know, I was trying to get people to stop doing that. But I did have somebody who deluged my social media this past week. Okay. And they just kept putting that oh. video clip up right. on every single thing I posted. Oh, that's not nice. No, I don't know. It's like they were trying to subliminally have me, uh, you know, put that up there. So I would go, not like that, but <laughs> but like this. Phenomena. Like that. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So there, I did it finally. Uh, unidentified flying objects is the term most people use for sightings of unexplained entities seen in the sky. But to the government, those mysterious items are known as UAPs or unidi- unidentified anomalous. Phenomena. There you go. Uh, the word anomalous simply means deviating from what's normal or expected now the U.S. Department of Defense has launched a website collecting publicly avail- available declassified information on UAPs. For now, the general public will be able to read through the posted information. Soon, U.S. government employees, contractors, and service members with knowledge of U.S. programs can report their own sightings, and later, others will be able to submit reports. This website will provide information, including photos and videos on resolved UAP cases as they are declassified and approved for public release, the department said in a release last week. The website's other content includes reporting trends and a frequently asked questions section, as well as links to official reports, transcripts, press releases, and other resources that the public may find useful, such as applicable statutes and aircraft, balloon, and satellite tracking sites. The site is live now at, and here you go, this is what was missing the last time, Allie. Okay. AARO.mil, hmm. which is an unusual website address. But you'll find it. Well, are they going to black out a lot of the words for those de- uh, declassified documents? You know how like they edit it down where you can't read majority of it? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I Well, I would think if they've passed them now and, and they are completely declassified, you should be able to read them in full. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, the reporting tool for government employees, contractors, and service members will be live in the fall, so it's not really open quite yet, but it will be soon if you want to report something. And if you don't fall into one of those specific groups, keep watching the skies anyway, because a mechanism for members of the general public to make reports will be announced in the coming months, according to the department. For now, one of the most interesting parts of the site is its trend section. Apparently, most reported UAPs are round, either white, silver, or translucent, spotted at around 10,000 to 30,000 feet. They are one to four meters in size and do not emit thermal exhaust. 
so it doesn't go out at the back side of it. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, Hotspots for sightings include both the U.S. East and West Coast. So we truly are flyover country. <laughs> That's sad. Even for UFOs, we're flyover country. Uh, there's also a small section of videos with names such as DVID's video, unresolved case, Navy 2021 flyby, and UAP video, Middle East object. Hmm. Interesting. Readers are able to leave comments on the video of the Middle East object video. One person writes, noticed I never saw it cast a shadow, but other objects have shadows. So there's no uh, shadow on the Middle East object. Could it be photoshopped? Oh, yeah. Mm. I need to talk to my sister-in-law. She works at the Pentagon. Yeah. And be like, so what does everyone talk about? What do they believe? Oh, that's a good, you know what? That's an excellent question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because she always sends me like books on haunted places and stuff, but we never talk about UFOs. You know what? It's time she come forward. I know, right? Yeah. If, if, if you're dishing to her and she's not dishing to you, there needs to be a 50-50 deal here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she needs, she needs to start <laughs> Come on, Marge, up. work with me. That's right, Marge. It's time to <laughs> cough up the, the 411 on this deal. Uh, as CNET wrote in 2021, the mere fact that people see items in the sky that they personally cannot identify does not mean that aliens are scoping out Earth for a visit or have already stopped by. Many UAP cases have been attributed to balloon or balloon entities <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> uh, as well as drones, birds, weather events, or airborne debris like plastic bags. I've never seen a plastic bag at 30,000 feet, Mally. I know. When they keep using that excuse, it's like, come on, we are not stupid. Yeah. I, well, most of us aren't stupid. Well, <laughs> yeah, we can't speak for a lot of the population, yeah. but yeah. yeah. You know, I'll... I'll give it this. There's a lot of advanced technology out there, and I can believe it's human-made. I can believe mm-hmm. that, but don't tell me it's a plastic bag or a balloon. Just yeah. don't insult my intelligence. Just don't <laughs> do that. Yeah, it's it's not fair. Uh, speaking of UFOs, Mel, an unexplained moment where multiple UFOs shoot out from a volcano portal Ooh. happens in some shocking footage. Um, we have a guest on tomorrow. The Clickitat Ape Cat. Remember I said it? Yes. Yeah, 10 times fast. Um, well, I didn't say it 10 times fast, but I'm sure he can. Uh, his name is James. He'll be on the program tomorrow. And uh, I'm just trying to pull up his full name here. He's got an interesting name. It's, it's sometimes hard for me to say. Um, but James is on the program tomorrow, and he'll talk a little bit about Mount Adams and how Mount Adams has been the secret UFO base for quite some time. Okay. Yeah, which is 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 kind of exciting, um, and he'll talk about the connection between these UFOs and the Clickitat Ape Cat and uh, Bigfoot. So it's yeah, it's it's an exciting show tomorrow. Uh, I, I I can't wait for you guys to hear it. There's there's a, he he connects a lot of dots in there, but he talks about these portals that show up on Mount Adams as well. Not just you know the the side of the mountain that opens and you see a, a, a ship fly into Mount Adams, but uh-huh. he actually has somebody who comes into he he owns a store called Margie's Outdoor Store. Okay, that's that's there in that area, and 
you, you'll get to find out a little bit about the concept behind Margie's Outdoor Store tomorrow and that it is an outdoor store with a little bit of like D&D creativity there. You can not only buy the outdoor store and outdoor outfitter stuff you need, but he also mm-hmm. sells adventure maps where you can actually find all the different paranormal aspects of things in that area of Washington. Well, that's a good idea, though. That's clever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, James Shubsky is our guest name for tomorrow. Uh, James Shubsky. So, uh, yeah, in Margie's Outdoor Store, we'll, we'll tell you how to get to that tomorrow um, and, and find out where you can get these different adventure maps. But he also talks about how one of the men who came into the store, and what's really cool about Margie's Outdoor Store is you can come in and file your reports. He takes all reports of paranormal activity that you've seen in the area, which is really cool. Oh, and I ask him tomorrow what he plans on doing with those reports. So you'll right, is he going to write a book, or is yeah. he going to? Yeah, so you'll find that out tomorrow as well. Okay, cool. Um, but he said one of the men came in and was looking at Mount Adams, and he said I saw a portal right there by Mount Adams, and I saw a ship fly into that portal. And he said, now, are you sure it's not just like the, you know, hole in the mountain that you see UFOs fly into all mm-hmm. the time? He said, no, no, no. This was an actual portal that showed up right beside Mount Adams. And I saw a ship fly into it. And then he watched it close. And then he watched it close. Ooh. Yeah. Kind of cool, huh? So we have a story here about that uh that very same uh here, one of the phenomena. There you go. Uh <laughs> That of that portal opening up and and a ship flying into it, which is is uh, fascinating. And, and the fact that it shows up uh, on a uh, on a mountain, I'm just trying to get that story up here. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, volcano portal and, sh- and some shocking footage here. UFO hunters say they found a smoking gun. In their search for extraterrestrial life visiting planet Earth after objects were filmed apparently flying out of a volcano. Mysterious objects were caught on camera shooting out of the crater of the Popocatapetl. Yeah, Popocatapetl volcano. Say that 10 times fast. (laughs) Popocatapetl volcano near Mexico City. And earlier this month, alien expert Jamie Masson shared clips from three months ago of two UFOs flying into the crater of that same volcano. He said he believes Popocat Petal is also acting as an interdimensional portal in the clip. Brightly lit UFOs shoot out into the sky from the smoke. An interdimensional portal is a gateway between two locations in space time that allows intergalactic travelers to enter one place from another. The 70-year-old explained that no man-made object would enter the crater as temperatures reach around 1,000 Celsius or 1,832 degrees Fahrenheit. That's kind of a hot place to be flying out of. Just a tiny bit. Or into. Uh, the volcano stands at 5,426 meters or 17,802 feet tall, and its name comes from the Nahuatl language, which means smoking mountain. Well, that's, that's appropriate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is one of the most active volcanoes in the South American country. Meanwhile, in the UK, nearly a thousand UFO sightings have been recorded in the last two and a half years, revealed after an expert claimed aliens could be hiding in dark spots just outside our solar system to avoid detection. 
interesting stuff. Uh, let me see if I can. I'm going to pull up this video here and show it to you, Mally, of these things flying into this volcano. So you can see it. It's kind of wow. interesting stuff, isn't it? Yeah, very. Yeah. It's just kind of right into the old active volcano, just flying into that flame pit like there's no tomorrow. Huh. Interesting stuff, huh? Now, does that area have a history, like a long history of like supernatural stuff going on? Or is it only like recently? That's a good question. I, I got to think, you know, from having talked to James on tomorrow's program, uh, that it is a long history of it. Happening. Okay. Because, um, you know, like when you watch Skinwalker Ranch, you know, the Native Americans have had a long history of that area. Mm -hmm. saying, you know, strange things have always happened over there. So mm -hmm. I was just wondering if they said the same thing about that area. I would think it would be long because when, when we talked to James about the area of Washington, he was saying that there's petroglyphs in the area. Oh, okay. That, that well, that would make sense. Then. Allude to there being alien activity for, for quite a while. Although he, he comes sh short of saying that, 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 Activity has been happening for a long time because he also ties it into nuclear activity from the nuclear power plant. Oh, that's okay. going on around there and how everything kind of ties in within the last hundred years or so. So I don't know. It, it's it, there's a lot of conjecture there. OK, but you, you'll hear tomorrow's program. It's very interesting. There's a lot of interesting mm -hmm. things there. But well, that was an interesting video you just showed me. Yeah. Yeah. Of the, the stuff flying out of the volcano. Mm -hmm. And it's not just, you know, one or two lights. There's there's seven or eight lights flying in a line out of the yeah. volcano. I tell you what, we'll put the link to this story up in the description of the program so you can see the video for yourself. It's it's hard to deny that there's something going on in that volcano. That's for sure. Uh, speaking of hard to deny, I, I believe Avi Loeb thinks he's hard to deny when it comes to the stuff he found at the bottom of the ocean, although there's a lot of scientific backlash right now on Avi Loeb. Uh, mm. The Harvard professor is saying that space debris that he found at the bottom of the ocean is possible proof of alien life, although, Mel, there's a lot of scientific backlash right now at that. Uh, some academics maintain that Avi Loeb is on another planet. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Loeb, a Harvard physicist, has staked his reputation on the idea that another planet has come to us. He published research last week, which he says proves that an object which hurtled into Earth in 2014 was from beyond the solar system and could well be an alien technology. Loeb is the Frank B. Baird Jr. Professor of Science at Harvard and was the longest-serving chair of its astronomy department. He was previously an academic at Princeton's Institute for Advanced Study, whose faculty included Albert Einstein and Robert Oppenheimer, and his hundreds of scientific papers are matched by a series of popular physics books. Well, now he's facing backlash from other astrophysicists who say his claims of a possible alien ship reaching Earth are overblown and accuse him of polluting astrophysics with junk science. Uh, Loeb's key claims is that he has found materials from beyond the solar system in tiny spheres smaller than grains of sand, which he raised from the depths of as much as 13,000 feet in the Pacific Ocean off Papua New Guinea. He and his crew went there earlier this year to hunt for remnants of an object that hurtled to Earth in 2014 as a flaming meteor and landed in the ocean. 
It was moving very fast, going 60 kilometers or 37.2 miles per second, Loeb said. Loeb, of course, the author of the best-selling Extraterrestrial and the just-published Interstellar. It disintegrated only at very high air pressure, said Loeb. It was tougher than all space rocks categorized by NASA. This suggested to me that it is something from outside of our solar system and that it is interstellar. Oh, see the tie into the book title, Mal? Ah, see what mm-hmm. he did there? Huh? A little cross-marketing? <laughs> huh? uh, interstellar means from between the stars. The meteor had come from beyond the solar system, Loeb maintains, referring to two NASA craft, which have... Uh, become the first human objects to leave the solar system. He added, imagine us launching a Voyager and it collides with another planet. I would say we failed miserably at that point. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just saying. Uh, What Loeb and his crew of more than two dozen retrieved from the bottom of the Pacific were tiny spheres made of a substance that he nicknamed Belau or B-E-L-A-U. Now you have to imagine that the B, the L, and the U are capitalized. In other words, he's combining elements to make a word, Mally. Oh, gotcha. See what he did there? Mm-hmm. Uh, it stands for the different elements found in the metallic material, beryllium, which is an alkaline earth metal with high heat capacity, lanthanum, which is a soft silvery white metal, and uranium. You know what this sounds like to me? All stuff he can get on earth. <laughs> once he recovered the material it came up from the ocean he recalled and i hugged the person next to me he said it was shipped to harvard and analyzed by stein jacobson a professor of geochemistry at the university who is according to loeb very conservative no less than an unimpeachable source than the u.s space command went on to confirm with 99.999 percent confidence that the tiny spherical objects were interstellar hmm okay the elements themselves were common enough but are not found in heavy concentrations evident in what Loeb and his team pulled up from the ocean floor which is interesting Mm-hmm. The composition of uranium is a thousand times what you would find on Earth, Loeb said. It's like baking a cake with a lot of sugar. This is a cake that we do not normally see. He added that the abundance of beryllium seems to be a flag, that's in quotes, that the objects come from interstellar space where cosmic rays can produce highly concentrated beryllium. Without a doubt, though it is interstellar, he said, that alone is a big deal. This is the first time we have analyzed material that came from outside of our solar system. Uh, Loeb maintains an open mind as to the actual flying object's origins. He allows that it could be natural in origin, having come from a molten ocean on a faraway planet, or could be the remnant of an exploded star. The third possibility, of course, is the most intriguing Loeb goes on to say, there is a possibility that it was put together with technology. This is Loeb's way of saying that he's found tiny pieces of a spacecraft constructed by aliens. We need to look around us and see if there is space travel from other civilizations, he went on to say. This is not the first time he's applied scientific thinking and the credibility of a Harvard professorship to positing the idea that we are not alone. Understandably, it's the kind of stance that enrages people more cautious in the field than Loeb. Michael Garrett, a professor from the University of Manchester in the UK, told the Daily Mail, I'd be surprised 
If this recent effort is going to produce conclusive evidence that the extraterrestrial spacecraft are responsible for these spheroids. I think he said that with firm tongue in cheek, Mally. Well, I was wondering what his colleagues think of him. I think that they're, you know, thinking, and how come he gets funding to do all of these things for what they think is a harebrained idea? Yeah. Um, I think they're thinking that he's, he's going to try and stretch this as far as it's going to go. And the reason he's getting the funding, I think, first of all, is because he's truly looking for something that fell from space. So there is legitimate funding going for that. And he did. He did find something from interstellar space. So it paid off. He got what he proved he was, he was setting out to find. Now it's tying it to something that may be in his colleagues' eyes, and I'm choosing my words carefully, in his colleagues' eyes, irrational. Mm. But in our eyes, it, it may not be. Uh, Stephen Dash, who is an Arizona State University physicist, went so far as to rail that Loeb is polluting good science conflating the good science we do with this ridiculous sensationalism and sucking all the oxygen out of the room. That's a little... Tell us how you really feel. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Talking about pissing on your parade. Uh, Dr. Matthew George of Imperial College London added that he was very skeptical about Loeb's beliefs. Loeb is unruffled by his critics and their views, however. He said, quote, people who are not practicing science have opinions. He fired back, what I'm doing is not about opinions. It is about collecting materials and doing analysis. He plans on continuing to do it in the cause of figuring out where these objects that look weird came from and what they mean. He also goes on to say, we will be able to tell by finding bigger pieces. Loeb said, that will be the purpose of our next expedition. Now that we know where to go, we can use sonar technology on the ocean floor to tell the difference from a natural object and a technological object. Maybe it will have buttons on it. We need to check it. We need to be open-minded, and we should not assume that everything we see is a rock. It's interesting he says there may be buttons on it, because when you think about where we are technologically, we're using Mm -hmm. touch screens, uh, we're using things that pick up movement with our hands. Why would we assume there's buttons on something? Hmm. Did I blow your I mind there, Mel? Yeah. Yeah. To, to assume that, that whatever came from space is technologically behind where we are, why would we jump to that conclusion? I, I, I just, I, I don't know that I firmly agree with Avi on this, but mm-hmm. it is what it is, right? Uh, let's move on to the next story here, Mel. Unless, do you have another thought on that deal or? No, I just, no, I don't. Okay. I don't. Okay. But yeah, I have <laughs> short words. Uh, yeah, but no. Well, I, I want to give you a chance to weigh in here if you have a, th- if you have a thought on it. No, I, I don't. Okay. I'm, yeah. Okay. Uh, forget planet nine in this next story, Mally. Scientists say an Earth-like world could be hiding within our solar system. Okay. And it's not Nibiru, which nearly hit us last week, according to one guy who is absolutely wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And has apologized since. Oh, has he? Yeah, yeah. The guy who said Nibiru was going to hit us uh, two weeks ago came forward and apologized and said he was wrong. 
which is a, a nice refreshing change from everybody else who said we were doomed is doomed could right be. yeah uh, for years, astronomers have teased the concept of another world in our solar system, commonly referred to as Planet Nine. But there could be a whole other Earth-like planet waiting to be discovered much closer to home, according to Japanese astronomers. They think this new planet is hiding in the Kuiper Belt. The donut-shaped ring of objects extends just beyond the orbit of Neptune. The so-called Kuiper Belt planet, or KBP, is up to 500 astronomical units from the sun, which is 500 times the distance between the Earth and the sun and closer than planet nine. KBP is up to three times as massive as Earth, the experts say, but temperatures are likely too cold to sustain life as we know it. The study was conducted by, I believe it is Patrick Sophia Laikauka, is what it is, of Kindai University in Osaka, Japan, and Takashi Ito of the National Astronomical Observatory of Japan and Tokyo. We predict the existence of an Earth-like planet, they say in their paper, which was published by the Astronomical Journal, 5.30 on my doorstep every Thursday. I don't know if you know that or not, but yeah, <laughs> I happen to get that publication. It is plausible that a primordial planetary body could survive in the distant Kuiper Belt as a KBP, as many such bodies existed in the early solar system, they went on to say. It's known that the Kuiper Belt contains millions of icy objects referred to as trans-Neptunian objects, which trans-Neptune, uh, because they're beyond Neptune. Uh, TNOs are thought to be what's left over from the formation of the solar system and composed of mixtures of rock, amorphous carbon, and volatile ices, I had one of those for uh, for dessert last night. You ever had the volatile ices? They're a lot like Italian <laughs> ices, but they're they're angry. Uh, such as water and methane. Uh, the orbits of trans-Neptunian objects can indicate the existence of an undiscovered planet in the outer solar system. The Japanese team says these rock and ice bodies are the remnants of planet formations in the outer solar system. So there you go. So we may have a planet beyond our solar system. Now you know what? I wouldn't put it past. I think that there's too many planets out there and stars out there that we're unaware of. I think we'd be ignorant to think that there wouldn't be something similar to Earth. Very true. Yeah, very true. Uh, what's the craziest thing you've had come close to your house in a storm? Have you ever had like big chunks of hail or anything hit your house? Uh, no. Hmm. Nope. Just uh, branches. Yeah. Yeah, and our neighbor's tent. <laughs> Your neighbor's tent, really? Yeah, they, they never took it down from their birthday party. Okay. So they keep it up. They've kept it up all summer year, or summer year round. That doesn't make sense. All summer. Okay. And uh, they just put things underneath it for the little girls to play underneath. And then when we had our last big storm, our neighbor, because I was at the up in the Sault Ste. Marie, mm -hmm. when the big storm happened, our neighbor took a picture. It was like hanging over like our fence, their fence. <laughs> <laughs> it, it took flight. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, we so, have, but that's the craziest. We have big storms coming uh, tonight as we record this, and uh, I can't wait to see what comes down. There's a, we have a huge we have a huge tree in our front yard, mm -hmm. and my brother, like three years ago, for some reason, got really mad. He's in his twenties, decides to chuck a ball as high as he can. And gets this ball stuck in the very top of the tree. Now, this, uh -huh. this is probably about 25, 30 feet up, right? This ball has not come down for years. And I'm hoping one of my trained chipmunks will go up there and get it. They're scared of heights, evidently. I don't know. The squirrels are scared of the height that big. 
the birds uh-huh. won't even go up and get this ball. So this ball has been up there for God knows how long. And I thought, do I call it tree service or does it eventually just fall down? Mally, we've had violent storms, violent windstorms, mm-hmm. violent thunderstorms. We even had a, a funnel cloud come through. Nothing has knocked this thing down. <laughs> just this giant ball. Right. I mean, not giant ball. I mean, it's, it's probably the size of like a baseball or softball. Okay. But it's been in this tree for three years. I thought about making him come over and go get it. Right. Right. But it's 30 feet up. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I just. Uh, I, but what goes up must come down, right? Eventually, yes. You would think. Mm-hmm. Well, for one California couple's home, <laughs> what eventually was up in the sky did come down right through their roof. It Ooh. was a, a huge flying object. And uh, I'll show you a picture of what it was that came through their roof. It left that kind of hole. Oh, my. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. That's what she said. <laughs> yeah. Hey, now. <laughs> i give you one of these. Oh, wait. Oh, I'm not on the right screen. I, uh, here we go. There you go. You that's not the same effect. It took you like a minute to find the I little know. button. I know. You're that's, not very quick. That's what she said. There you go. There we go. There you go. Uh, although I thought women <laughs> liked it when you weren't that quick. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, John and Renee LeClaire were recently inside of their home in Big Bear, California, when a large object flew from the sky and barreled through their roof, according to ABC. By the way, i got to thank Tom for this story. Uh, according to ABC7, the object was a large hunk of ice that tore through their shingles and ended up in the couple's attic. Ice in California, Millie. Are we sure it wasn't like waste from a plane? Remember how people think that that's... Right. Like... You know what I mean? Which is yeah. disgusting when you think about it. Yeah, but. yeah a giant ball of shit ice mm-hmm. <laughs> right, from a plane, you would think, right? right. Uh, John LeClaire recalled the sound that the ice made when it slammed into the home. He said it was almost like a sonic boom. It was huge. My wife came out and she thinks somebody's breaking into the house. And I said, I don't think so. It was like a cannon shot. Since the incident, John has been attempting to contact someone anyone who can keep something like this from occurring again how do you stop a giant even if it's a ball of shit ice going through your roof (laughs) how do you stop someone from making that happen again yeah i don't know what you do this is going to kill someone eventually i have no clue i can't get a hold of the faa the national transportation safety board says it's not their territory i filed a report with the sheriff's department and they're just scratching their heads ABC7 mentioned that the hole was a whopping 24 inches in diameter and that the ice was almost as big as a bowling ball. Well, that can do some damage. Yeah, that'll... that'll But then your evidence is going to melt unless you, you know, stick it in the freezer. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Stick it in the freezer so you have have your your souvenir. Uh, You frozen ball of crap in the freezer. (laughs) (laughs) This is the biggest crap I ever seen someone take. Uh, the couple believe that the large hunk of ice came from a plane. There you go, Mal. Oh, flying, oh ew. ew. flying over their house rather than from space. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking it was from a plane, but it's so warm. How can that happen? Well, it's easy what? for it to happen. <laughs> if you're 40,000 feet up and you decide to drop a deuce over, <laughs> over land, <laughs> it's, it's not tough. I mean, it's cold up there. You know, it yep. freezes almost instantly. Well, not almost instantly, but you right. get the idea. Uh, he says, I know it's 40,000 feet up, but we're pretty warm down here. I don't know. 
said the guy who's not a scientist. A uh, similar incident also occurred in Chino and Fontana in 2017. John and Renee LeClaire were not injured as a result of the falling ice hunk. <laughs> Only their egos. So they got some shit ice in their roof. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. Tell you what, Mally, that's our final story for this half of the program. When we come back, we're going to meet Apollo, the humanoid robot, in some nightmare fuel. We'll also tell you how robots may be helping us in vegas get a better pour on our drinks now there we go yeah maybe some positive ai news for for a start we'll tell you how psychics are taking people in australia for their money <laughs> i know it's not a news story but it's a news story if you see what i did there we'll also talk about some hauntings some ghostly hauntings and we'll talk some haunted real estate when we come back we'll end the program by meeting storm He's the dog at the Metallica concert throwing up the devil horns. That's right. Well, that's how we'll finish our program today. It's a Supernatural News Wednesday with Tim and Mally right here on the best in paranormal podcasting. This is Darkness Radio. Welcome back to the Best in Paranormal Podcasting. This is Darkness Radio. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. Along with me is our co-hostess with the mostest, Mally Fox. Hello. I'm trying to think of like of those people filing a claim for frozen <laughs> crap, putting a hole in their roof. <laughs> I'm still thinking about this. Because what is that commercial? Is it State Farm or they're, where they're like, we've seen this or like what a, is it? Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Yeah, but yeah. you know where it's like weird occurrences and like, oh, we had that happen. I forget which commercial it is. It's the guy from... Oh, uh, it's, it's uh, Farmer's Insurance. We yeah, there we go. Farmers. Yeah. Yeah. They should use that for a commercial. Yeah. And uh, what's his name? J. Jonah Jameson comes by. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, yep, we cover that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We cover your shit ice through your, through your roof. Because that would suck if they don't. Oh, yeah, it would. That would be terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Shed ice through the, your roof. We you're the it. insurance agent. <laughs> Say what? <laughs> what went through your roof? <laughs> Shed ice through your roof. We cover that. We covered it in 2017. Yeah. We'll cover it now. <sighs> That'd be fun. That would be the fun- funniest commercial ever. I know my mom would react, overreact to that. Shed ice through your roof. She'd call me right away. <laughs> Honey, have you ever heard of shit ice through your roof? Nope. <laughs> no, but it's been nice hearing from you again, Mom. <laughs> it's great. Uh, homeowner's nightmare fuel. Speaking of nightmare fuel, Mally. Uh-huh. It's that time again. I got to thank uh, all our listeners who send in all this nightmare fuel stories and try to get me to not sleep at night. <laughs> I appreciate that. By the way, if you have a story for us, Tim at darknessradio.com, you can send it to us. And even if you have a parashare story, you can send it there too. And uh, try to make me not sleep at night. Speaking of, we can meet our new colleague here, Mally, Apollo the humanoid robot. Okay. Uh, humanoid robots are starting to work side by side with actual people in warehouses for the first time, moving heavy boxes and containers, and of course, ripping your arms off when you try to lift a heavy box so that they can keep their jobs. 
<laughs> you're just like I take you through that in. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, that's that's my addition to the article. Why it matters: labor-saving robots with dexterous fingers without arthritis. Just saying. <laughs> And a human appearance are expected to reshape the workforce in various fields from elder care and food prep to manufacturing and heavy industry. I can see my brother just going to work and hitting on a a robot. Mm -hmm. Did I tell you he tries to date within the workforce too much? Ooh, that's not good. Yeah, I keep telling him don't, you know, don't ship. No, that's not good. That's not good. But I can see him hitting on a robot. It'll happen. I gotta talk. Well, they're gonna have everyone fighting that going. They're taking away jobs from real people that are trying, that are unemployed. Yeah. Gerbs, Mally. Yeah, because that's what they sound like. Yeah, it's a South Park joke. Gerbs. The trick is to get them to walk without falling. By the way, the robots. They evidently don't have good balance. Any bigger feet. That's what she said. <laughs> uh, hold the charge long enough to be useful. Evidently, the batteries aren't good with them. Mm. Who knew? And manipulate things without fumbling. They're Dalvin Cook. <laughs> or Kirk Cousins, one or the other. Yeah, right. Yeah. The brass ring, however, housework. Because who doesn't want a robot to do the dishes and laundry? Yeah, but you know what? So I've got that, uh, oh, what is that vacuum thing called? Roomba. 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 Yeah, yeah, Roomba. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I sit there and I watch it That's rather a, than like do other stuff. The, so having a, a robot in your house doing things does not make you more productive. The Roomba is the dumbest thing in the world. It doesn't know how to vacuum. It just goes back and forth and humps my my scooter all day long, my kneecap. <laughs> I've never seen that thing complete a room in my life. Mm. It just no, sits I, there and humps my, my caddy all day long, my kneecaddy. <laughs> I'm entertained, but I do. I sit there and I watch it. And then I'm like, oh, it missed a spot. And then it drives me nuts because I see yeah. that one little spot. Yep. And so I pick it up and I put it over it. Yep. So it takes me longer to use the the Roomba then than the it would if I just used a broom myself. Exactly. Yep. It's just, it's a piece of shit. It's an expensive piece of shit that just causes you to go OCD on your living room. <laughs> is what it is. So here's the latest. The newest humanoid robot was unveiled on August 23rd, and it's an all-electric model named Apollo, which is made by an Austin-based startup named Aptronic. Apollo is 5 feet 8 inches tall, so he's tall enough for the ladies to be suave, but short enough so they don't don't give those males out there a complex. (laughs) Right? He weighs 160 pounds and can lift 55 pounds. (laughs) Only 55 pounds, so he doesn't make the heavy lifting requirement for a factory job. But, you know, he's good enough for around the house, I guess. Uh, Science fiction has promised us these for a long time. Aptronic CEO Jeff Cardenas told Axios. So Apollo, which can run for four hours before its battery needs to be swapped... (laughs) So yes, he's no he is he's a minute man, Mally. He's not he's not a marathon man. <laughs> is uh, one of several first generation robots designed for live action in the workplace. It says here, initially it's going to start working in the supply chain, doing basic material handling tasks like moving boxes and totes. God, he looks creepy. Look, he only has eyes. He doesn't really have a face. I just don't like that stuff. Yeah, look yeah. at yeah. Look at his soul. I've watched too many sci-fi movies. Yeah, he looks soulless. Yeah. yeah. I don't like him already. 
Uh, this version has initial applications, but it's software update uh, away from a new feature or functionality, he adds. Long term, really, the sky's the limit in terms of what these types of systems will be able to do. Where it stands now, well, Aptronic, which won't name its customers yet, of course it won't, <laughs> for fear of huge backlash, has only pumped out a handful of production prototypes, but says Apollo is suited for mass manufacturability. Right now, we have two Apollos that are built. Oh, wow, they really got to work on this deal, didn't they? <laughs> and we're building another four, Cardania said. These are alpha units, our engineering validation prototypes. The next step will be producing beta units, fewer than 100, which will work outside the lab, Cardania said. From there, we will move into full production by the end of 2024. Uh, Aptronic has 85 employees, came out with the Human-Centered Robotics Lab at the University of Texas and worked on NASA's first bipedal robot, Valkyrie. Other companies at or near Aptronic stage of humanoid robot production include Figure, Agility Robots, and Sanctuary AI. I don't like the name of that, <laughs> that company whatsoever. <laughs> Sanctuary AI? Mm. Yeah. Uh, big names in the field, of course, Boston Dynamics and Tesla, which your robot from Tesla will burn up automatically, I'm sure. So do they have an estimated price how much these things are going to cost? Uh, let me see here. There's a little bit more into the article. Does it say how much it'll cost? Uh, it says non-humanoid robots are starting to prove their metal is secure security guards. You, you just put a, like a wet <laughs> wash rag over their eyes and you can fool mm -hmm. them. Uh, yeah. Security guards. Um, I don't have a price here on them. I just don't trust them. I don't either. I would think there'd be a million ways to fool these things. Um, mm -hmm. no, it doesn't. It doesn't have a it doesn't have a price to them. Let me see if there's a website for this. I, I you know it, it'd be it'd be interesting if they did have uh, if they did have a uh, let's see I'm gonna click on Apollo here and see if it comes up. Nope, that's a Vimeo to introducing Apollo. They have plenty of videos introducing you to them, but they don't want to give you a price. <clears throat> Probably because it's a business deal. Yeah. And they probably they probably get ten what, ten thousand for it, you would think? Maybe more. Yeah, I'm not sure. Per unit? Twenty thousand, hundred thousand? I know Boston Dynamics are making those robot dogs at a cheap price. Those are like ten K, fifteen K. Yeah, like it's a cheap price. <laughs> well, I mean for a robot. That's a lot of money. <laughs> it is. But you can get you can get the robot dog with a flamethrower for fifteen K. No. That's yeah. gonna go in the wrong hands. Right? Some psycho mm -hmm. is gonna buy one of those and just turn it loose on humanity. Probably someone in Detroit. Swear to God, there are weird <laughs> people in Detroit. I love Detroit. I really do. I love the people, but we've got some weird ones. Yeah. Where you're just like, not surprised. <laughs> just, no. Not shocked at all. No, no. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't think Detroit would be the first place that that would happen. But hey, if you say so, I'm sure. <laughs> we had a person riding a cow in the middle of the highway. Well, true. Not yeah. too long ago. <laughs> yeah. was, was that where all the bees were, were uh, released last week? There was some, some place where like 5 million bees accidentally got loose. Oh, I don't know. I have to look for that one. Uh, we move on. 
Robots are pouring drinks in Vegas, Mal. Nice. And as AI grows, the city's workers are bracing for change. <laughs> or they're asking for it, one or the other. <laughs> Got any spare change? I wonder if you have to tip a robot. That's a good question. And do they get pissed off if you don't? Mm. That's a very good question, too. Walk any direction in Las Vegas, it's easy to find machines doing human work. Check-in kiosks have replaced people at the front desk of hotels. Tech spots now make restaurant recommendations instead of a concierge. Robots can serve food, and behind the bar, machines are pouring out drinks. That's right, you heard me right. Automation and technology replacing jobs has now been a conversation in Nevada's most populated city. Studies show that between 38 to 65% of jobs there could be automated by 2035. Ooh, that's a big percentage. With the use of artificial intelligence on the rise, the economy of the city, which relies on tourism and hospitality, is at an inflection point as companies look to technology to reduce labor costs. Wherever the resort industry can replace their workers and not affect productivity, profits, or the customer experience, wherever they can do that with artificial intelligence, they will, said John Restrepo, principal of RCG Economics in Las Vegas. The question is, how do you factor in and how do you adapt your economic development strategy, your community strategy, your resilience strategy to accommodate a world where certain jobs no longer exist, he said? Well, Restrepo said he believes the city has to diversify its economy to become less reliant on tourism and hospitality. How do you make Las Vegas less reliant on tourism and hospitality? (laughs) He can't. Good luck on that. Yeah, right? He says we need to move to those occupations that are more highly skilled, that are not easily replaced by AI, and that provide a greater level of balance and resilience so we're not so hard hit, Restrepo said. Unions in Las Vegas are closely watching the changes. The largest union in Nevada, which is the Culinary Union, represents 60,000 service and hospitality workers in Las Vegas and Reno. Later this year, it hopes to have a newly negotiated contract that includes protections against AI replacing jobs. We had a huge fight about tech in our previous contract. We're going to have the same fight this time around, said Ted Papa George. That sounds like a made-up last name, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it does. The secretary-treasurer of the union. Uh, In its last contract in 2018, the union pushed for companies to agree to a six-month warning for workers for new technology introduced into the workplace, as well as free training on how to use the new technology. How do our folks make sure that the jobs are that the jobs that remain, that we can work them uh, and that we're not thrown out like an old shoe? Well, we're not going to stand for that, Papa George said. That's the cutest last name ever, Papa George. Sounds like a pizza place. Wasn't Papa George the guy who raised Webster? Oh, there was Papa, I don't know. There's Papa George and ma'am, right? <laughs> God, I'm going to get emails. Yeah. Uh, while the precise impact of AI on service work is not yet clear, the union is prepared to make AI an issue to strike over when it negotiates its new contract, Papa George said. We'd like to say we're going to be able to get an agreement, but if we have to, we're going to have a big fight and do whatever it takes, including a strike on technology, he went on to add. 
So I got to ask you, Mally, uh, you've been to Vegas more than a few times, right? Yeah. Okay. Can you imagine a Las Vegas where you can't walk up and get a human to help you? I would not enjoy that at all. I get frustrated at McDonald's when you have to do that self-checkout thing. Yeah. You know, the big screen when you go in and you have to do it yourself? Yeah. Yeah. I would not like that. But you know when we were talking about bartenders being robots? Do you remember that movie? Um, what was it called? It had Jennifer Lawrence, Chris Pratt, and they're like up in space. Oh, and yeah, they had yeah. the bartender. Michael Sheen was the bartender. Remember? But he was a robot. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I remember the movie. I don't remember the name of it, though. Yeah. Oh, what? I'm going to have to look it up because that's going to drive me nuts. But anyway, that reminded me of it kind of with the little robot making drinks and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I'm not. Uh, I can't I see a, a Las Vegas with. No. Without human service workers. I mean, if like that's if it's a novelty thing, like that's the restaurant's kind of draw. Mm-hmm. Then okay, I understand it, but not for every type of entertainment where I, there's not a person. Passengers, that's what it's called. Passengers, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can see. I can see as far as ordering when you're ordering something using kiosks because a lot mm-hmm. of times it's it's what you enter, like custom things, entering it and getting what you want and getting it accurately sent into the kitchen but in order to prepare but you still might have human error though if you've got people working the kitchen true you you could have human error um and that's that's always a risk with any service job but to to have robots pouring drinks and preparing food and and doesn't seem right i don't know it you know we're getting to a point of ultimate laziness in society Mm -hmm. you know we're just getting to that point where a point of no return you know where but i like that human interaction though yeah yeah i do too i i like being able to uh be able to make small chit chat with someone and just you know be able to crack a joke have somebody smile you know Mm -hmm. uh, being able to get to know somebody in a small space Right. Right. And being able to get to know them, but not get to know them type of deal, you know, Mm -hmm. just being able to make somebody's day if I can, you know, and and Mm -hmm. have them make my day. Maybe I'm having a shitty day. Right. And and I do need a little bit of an uplift. And sometimes I meet people in my day that that can uplift me. You know, Mm -hmm. I I told somebody a couple weeks ago um, who was going through a tough time. I told them, they said, you know, I feel like I'm isolated. And they, they were wanting to end it all. Oh, that's sad. And I said, you know, you know what makes that, you know, what makes that worse is that, that isolation. When you stay to yourself, it's when you stay to yourself that you hear, you hear the devil in your ear and the devil is a lie, right? Mm -hmm. You start to hear the voices that tell you to end it all. It's when you get out amongst people and it could be just going to the grocery store and and seeing a clerk that smiles and says, how you doing? Or it's, uh, it's going to a restaurant and having someone wait on you and, and they're, they're just, you know, smiling and having a good time. Maybe they enjoy their job and they genuinely care about how your day is and they make it better. 
um, or it's just running into a stranger on the street who's genuinely concerned about how you are and says, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's human contact. And human contact is what raises our vibration. And some people go, oh, no, I hate people. I, I can't stand them. But it's not true. Um, it's whenever you're amongst people that it does bring your vibration up and you find yourself not as lonely or depressed. And it, it's medicine every single time. Yeah, I think that's why a lot of people had problems during uh, quarantine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and why COVID was so bad for society in general, mm-hmm. right? In uh, the minute we started to come out of that, and come out of our, come out of our houses, come out of our shells, and and start to start to get involved with one another again and talk to each other once again and, and get in front of each other once again. It was weird at first because we had been away for so long that we didn't know how to relate to each other. But, but mm-hmm. once we started figuring it out again and getting those training wheels off, then all of a sudden that break felt, it felt like it was the hardest thing you've ever done. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's just good to, not have to do it from behind a screen too, you know, mm-hmm. that, that's the other thing. So um, whenever you're in doubt or whenever you're feeling lonely or sad or, or, or depressed or, or even angry at the world, sometimes it's just a little bit of human contact that can put you right back in perspective. That's just right. the way I see it. But, but yeah, to, to get lazy with AI and say, well, AI will, will work us out of things and it'll help us with things. It'll make things easier. That's a lazy perspective. Mm-hmm. I just really believe it is. I don't know about you. No, I agree. I agree 100%. Uh, let's move on, Mel. We're not, we're not going to do another AI story. <laughs> just, you know, okay. <laughs> Thank you. We're done with the AI. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Amelia Earhart. There's been a possible breakthrough in the hunt for answers to that mystery. Oh, uh, researchers have found what could be evidence of Earhart's plane under the sea near, I believe this is Nico Mararo. Mararo? Mararo? I sound like one of the dogs in the background there. Uh, more than 82 years after Amelia Earhart disappeared over the Pacific Ocean during an attempt to circumnavigate the globe in her Lockheed Model 10 Electra, the question of what happened Uh, to her continues to be one of the biggest unanswered mysteries of the modern age. In recent years, however, clues have been found suggesting that Earhart's plane may have gone down somewhere in the remote Pacific and that the aviator and her navigator, Fred Noonan, may have even survived for several days on a small island while awaiting rescue. New possible evidence uh, in support of this theory has been unearthed in the form of an underwater photograph taken during an expedition to Nico Mororo. Uh, I sound like Scooby-Doo when I say that. <laughs> Nico Mororo? It's kind of like how I say horror. There you go. There you go. Uh, Back in 2009, according to Rick Gillespie, who's the executive director of the International Group for Historic Aircraft Recovery, a forensic expert is currently analyzing the image to see if it contains a piece of Earhart's Lockheed Electra. If it turns out to be the case, it would prove that she did crash in the vicinity of the atoll. There is an object in the photo that appears to be a Lockheed Electra engine cowling. 
Gillespie told Mail Online. The similarity to an engine cowling and prop shaft was not noticed until years later, and the exact location was not noted at the time, which means attempt to relocate the object were unsuccessful. I believe this is the picture, and I... It's hard for me to see, but I don't know. Do you see something in there? It looks like a Rorschach test to me, but... Uh, I don't see anything. You don't, no, it's hard to tell if you just yeah. take a quick glance at it, but... But did you have you seen that picture where they... Where it looks like her and her navigator or her co-pilot or whatever he is, um, where they're, like, sitting on a dock and they were captured by the Japanese? Yes, yes, I have seen that. I mean, yeah. that's intriguing. Yeah, yeah, that is. That's that's a very intriguing uh, picture. And, it, I mean, we. I'm trying to remember the name of the Amelia Earhart expert I had on a few years ago. I'll have to see if I can dig up the, uh, if I can dig up the episode number and I don't know if I'm going to put it in the description of this program or not. Um, mm-hmm. I'll see if I can do that. And, and I may make reference to it. Um, but I did a, I did a show a few years back, more than a few years back now, uh, with, an Amelia Earhart expert, and he explains why that might be feasible and why that photograph may have been a fake. Oh. Yeah. Um, It was an interesting program. I know that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just don't remember the date on it, though. Uh, But, yeah, we we went pretty in-depth with Amelia Earhart Mm -hmm. and what, what he believes actually happened to her. I believe he, I'm trying to remember what his perspective was. You'll have to research it, folks. It, it, it's in our archives, and, and, and I know it's, it, it's in our archives and available for you to listen to uh, in the Darkness Radio archives. Just go to darknessradioshow.com, and uh, the archive should be up, or to Audio Boom and, uh, and look up the archive. But it's there. Yeah, just search out uh, Amelia Earhart in our archive, and it, you'll find it. Well, Mally, uh, you are into the haunted real estate, correct? I am. I love that stuff. Yeah. If I had all the money in the world, I'd be owning a bunch of property. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I got one for you here. Okay. Um, the question from USA Today is, would you buy a haunted house? The true dark story behind a haunted mansion for sale. Are haunted mansions in your uh, your lexicon? In my what? In your lexicon. Are they in your uh, in your line of fire, so to speak? Oh, Would you- <laughs> On my dream board, maybe, but (laughs) my bank account, not so much. (laughs) Well, this one, uh, I don't know if this one's affordable or not. It's in Seminole, Oklahoma. Oh, I saw this one pop up. Okay. It's a 12,000 square foot mansion, which is up for sale, and its buyer will be the owner of a significant piece of Oklahoma history. But will they get more than they bargained for? The Grisso Mansion is in Seminole, Oklahoma, and once again is up for sale. Once again is up for sale. Mm-hmm. So yeah, because I think it was a reasonable price when I looked at it. It's it's pretty cheap for a mansion, Mel. You ready? Yeah. Ready for this? It's it's listed for one point eight million dollars, but its decade long owner, the Seminole Nation of Oklahoma, uh, says it was built in nineteen twenty six by a local oil baron some say there's a dark history associated with the mansion and that it could even be haunted so mally four bedrooms six bathrooms in this mansion okay and it's you think on, that there would be more than four bedrooms for a twelve thousand square foot house right but it's it sits on 11 acres oh plenty of room 
Plenty yeah. of room, plenty of land. Property includes a vineyard. Huh? Nice. Yeah. 1,600 square foot garage. Okay. Okay. An in-ground pool. I like. Pool house. Nice. Gazebos. Lovely. Fountains. Ooh. Statues. Dang. Yeah, it's got a courtyard. It's got tennis and basketball courts. So it's perfect for entertaining. Yeah, lily and koi ponds and an arboretum. Wow. Sounds absolutely lovely. Mm-hmm. It's also got guest quarters, once meant for servants. It's made up of two bedrooms in the guest quarters, two bathrooms, and two living rooms. Okay. So there you go. You could. You yeah, could, my in-laws can go there. Oh, I was going to say you could put the mister out there as well. Oh. You want. <laughs> yeah, he's never home. <laughs> so <laughs> it says here, who built the Grisso Mansion to begin with in Seminole? Well, William Edward Grisso, which is also known as Doc Grisso, came to Oklahoma in 1904 to be a doctor at the Seminole Indian Mission. Uh, He eventually became the town's pharmacist, having left school early before finishing his medical degree. The story goes that Grisso began acquiring mineral rights from others, including tribal members. And when oil was discovered in Seminole, he became one of the wealthiest men in the country, or rather, one of the wealthiest men in the county. Uh, He built the mansion for his wife, Margaret Maggie Grisso. The Seminole Nation of Oklahoma bought the mansion and its lands in 2012 and used it for weddings and other events. The tribe's general council voted to dissolve operations and then sell the property in 2019, according to Assistant Chief Brian Palmer. Now, is it haunted? That's the question. Stories abound that the Grisso Mansion is a place fraught with paranormal activity, and the Seminole tribe says Grisso's road to wealth was a dark and dishonorable one. Palmer said Grisso acquired much of his mineral rights through shady deals with Seminole tribal members, a commonality they share with other tribes in Oklahoma during the oil boom. This includes a Seminole woman he married from whom he inherited much land and mineral holdings when she died not long after, Palmer said. There was a lot of shady deals with either someone marrying someone in the tribe or a judge awarding somebody custody of a minor, becoming their guardian and being able to essentially steal their mineral rights, Palmer went on to say. Seminole Nation is essentially one of the poorest, most economically deprived tribes in Oklahoma. Even though we had one of the highest producing oil regions in the world, it was basically all stolen, Palmer went on to say. Stories of paranormal activity include seeing a woman that can be best described as Maggie Grisso roaming the halls, according to the Native American Paranormal Project, which filmed a documentary in the mansion in 2013 that attempted to share the tribe's side of the oil boom story. A recent study conducted by Rocket Homes, which surveyed over 1,000 Americans, found that one in four individuals have their own ghost stories. The survey results... Uh, also found that 55.8% of Americans believe in ghosts, 27.7% don't believe in them, and 16.5% are undecided as to whether ghosts exist. And when asked if they had any previous experience with houses that are haunted, uh, one quarter of surveyed adults claim to have lived in a haunted house. One in three Americans surveyed would be willing to purchase a house that is haunted, including our own Mally Fox. Uh-huh. Uh, 21% of surveyed adults would try to sell a house before they purchased if they discovered it was haunted. Interesting, hmm. huh? 
Yeah. So knowing what you know now, Mal, would you buy the Grissom Mansion? If I had the moolah, yes. There you go. Except though, you know what? For some odd reason though, the Native American hauntings, I don't know. I almost feel bad for for purchasing a house with that kind of history though. They got screwed. Yeah, well, in this case, big time. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know about that though. But they do need the money. True. But do so you, if you look at it that way? Do you feel like in a situation like this that you could go in, especially with your your uh, with your paranormal investigation background? Do you feel like you could mm-hmm. go in and you could settle things with with the ghosts and in, in that house? But see, I don't think if they don't want to settle, they're not going to settle. It's like when people say, "Oh, I cleared the house." Did you? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? You yeah. can't just cross them over because you want to cross them over. They're right. either going to go or they're not. So. Well, do, I don't know. do you think you can make peace with them so that you can if they want to live in harmony? Yeah, I'm all for it. So they can stay. Yeah, just you know. Yeah. Don't do us any harm, but right. I don't know, but I always feel bad, like when you hear about like the orphanage, like the schools for the Native Americans, and you know how poorly they were treated, and just all of that stuff. I just feel I don't know. There's that guilt. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. It would be an interesting buy, that's for sure. Um, mm-hmm. But I think you'd have to do a lot of, if not physical work on the house, you'd probably have to do a lot of spiritual work on the house as well. Right. In order to make it livable for everyone. Yeah. 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 Get some shamans in there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's move on. Ghost Hunters in the UK, I believe this is, are saying that a paranormal recording on a haunted lane is their best capture yet. The Redford Ghost Hunters group says that it has footage of a spirit telling them the name of the lane that they were parked on. That, according to Rachel Parsons, who runs the paranormal group. Ghost Hunters who claim that they have audio of a ghost speaking to them say the clip is their best find yet. The team have audio of what they say is a spirit telling them the name of the lane uh, that they are parked on. That, according to Rachel Parsons, who runs Redford Ghost Hunters, the encounter followed a failed trip to a boarded-up building. Rachel said the team and driven over to Pac-Man Lane in Kiveton, South Yorkshire, uh, which she says is known for being haunted before asking the spirit for the name. Uh, they've seen a woman running across the road. There have even been UFO sightings there. It seems to be one of those areas where a lot of stuff happens. While live streaming to an audience on Facebook, Ghost Hunter Ron calls out into the night asking for the name of the lane that they are parked on. The duo seems to get an answer almost immediately with their necrophonics is what they're calling it. Microphones that are Ew. used. Yeah, I know. That doesn't sound very good, does it? No, it doesn't. Uh, microphones that are used to pick up such sounds, they say, uh, recording what sounds like a man saying Pac-Man in the clip. An exasperated Rachel yells, oh, my God, he said Pac-Man. She told Lincolnshire Live, no one is able to explain it. It's absolutely crazy. It's like, wow, none of us were moving in the car. It's so weird, but it's fabulous, she went on to say. Though she missed it herself, viewers told her that a shadowy figure passed in front of the car. She said, people were telling us that a black shadow had just walked straight across our car. We said, all right, and we were a bit skeptical. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, you got the voice and you were jumping up and down, but you didn't see the shadow. Right. (laughs) And Uh, then you're kind of like, nah, thanks for letting us know, but if we didn't see it, then... Thanks, but no thanks. We we appreciate it all the same. (laughs) Oh, funny. 
Uh, but watching it back, it's unbelievable. The shadow comes from under the car, stops for a millisecond, and then walks across like a typical specter the way it walks, she went on to say. Uh, she added that the thought of being there on that dark lane with a possible spirit around was both scary and mind-blowing. Well, you're outside. Why is it scary? Just run the other way. I know, right? Be, be a Hunwa and run the other way. Uh, specters and spirits in Pac-Man Lane have long been the subject of discussion. Uh, back in 2005, users of the Sheffield Forum said that it was a hotspot for otherworldly activity. So, uh, several said the road was quite scary and likened it to various horror movies, including Jeepers Creepers and Predator. <laughs> somehow, I don't think so, but yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't somehow don't think the Predator is going to jump out at you. Right. Uh, or Jeepers, Jeepers Creepers with the guy with the wings. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, one even claimed to have seen a horse trotting up and down the road and defying suggestions that it was an optical illusion. The Redford-based investigators previously made headlines when they claimed to have filmed a ghost appearing to them in a vape-smoke-filled room in an abandoned mill near Stoke-on-Trent. In January, the paranormal hunters attempted a modern twist on the old candle and smoke parlor trick by beaming lasers into the dark, while investigator Gary Brumby puffed vape smoke rather than cigarette smoke into the room. I bet you that was good for his lungs. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Uh, Parson, Ms. Parsons said it created the spooky atmosphere, especially all the coughing. Uh, mm -hmm. And then we asked the spirit to enter and use the smoke to form. But what we captured wasn't in the smoke. It was just there. The event was live streamed, as many of the team's expeditions are. And the ghostly face was caught and screenshot by an eagle-eyed viewer from North Carolina named Carolyn Hill. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know that the vape smoke thing was a good idea, but uh, hey, teacher. <laughs> I, I got nothing more to say on that. Yeah. I don't want to get myself in trouble. Exactly. You're going to get hit, hate mail from across the pond. That's right. That's right. Uh, the, our next story has to do with the age-old adage, if the psychic is asking for a boatload of cash over and over and over again, you probably shouldn't keep going. No, I agree 100%. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the headline here is, I lost my life savings to a psychic. He said he had to drive the evil spirits away. Oh, what? my goodness. You'd think by now people would not be so gullible. Yeah, there's red flags everywhere in that statement. A woman has been left devastated after she was allegedly scammed out of her life savings. After leaving an abusive relationship, she was preyed on by a psychic. That's in quotes. By the way, psychic, quote unquote. None of the psychics that we know that are legit would ever do that. No, no. I, I mean, we know some legit ones, mm -hmm. but... Unfortunately, there are people out there that will prey on the... Yep. Yep, yep. A woman has claimed that a psychic, quote-unquote, scammed her out of her life savings, visiting a spiritual healer in Melbourne, Australia. Again, that's in quotes, spiritual healer. Uh, Antoinette said that she, uh, he had conned her out of more than 15,000 pounds, which is considerably more Yikes. in uh, dollars, right, to rid herself of evil spirits. After leaving an abusive relationship in 2021, she came across a local healer online and described himself as a renowned best psychic, astrologer, and spiritual healer on his website. Uh, I don't think so. 
Uh, he also listed a variety of services he provides, including curse and black magic removal. Antoinette, who's always been spiritual, scheduled a 50-pound reading in the hopes that it would direct her on a more positive path. She didn't expect that the so-called psychic would instead tell her that she was cursed. Over numerous sessions, the healer is said to have gained Antoinette's trust and persuaded her that evil spirits were trapped inside her and that only he could free her, Mally. Oh, jeez. Yep. Cue the, cue the scam music. Oh, Antoinette claims that throughout the course of the following few months, the healer pressured her into spending more money on psychic services that he guaranteed would drive the evil spirits away. At that time, I was just really, really vulnerable and I had nothing to lose, she went on to say. That's when it went from 50 pounds to 1,000 pounds to... Oh, my gosh. 2.3 thousand pounds. And then all of a sudden... He was asking for 8,700 pounds. Because you can't really sue for that because you willingly gave the money for... Right. You you thought you were exchanging for services. Yeah. Right. right. Oh, poor lady. Yeah. When Antoinette started having issues with the large sums she was paying, the healer allegedly began to blackmail her. Oh, God. Uh, Oh, She said he told her not to talk to any of her friends or family about what was happening. Otherwise, the spell of the demons would get worse. Okay, that's a sign. Yeah, it is. Uh, He said that if she didn't pay, he would or she would die. Oh, my God. Really? Uh, Antoinette said she was so manipulated by him that now she was determined to destroy the bad spirit. According to Antoinette, the blackmail persisted until she paid over 15,000 pounds and depleted her savings account entirely. Uh, She said that when she eventually confronted the psychic and begged for her money back, he refused. Antoinette had gone from someone who was doing well in her business to someone who was struggling to pay for her groceries. Her mental health was severely impacted by the alleged scam, and due to embarrassment and shame, uh, she hid her experience for a long time. Just let it go because I thought, this is so embarrassing. Uh, How could this happen to me? I'm smart, she explained. Antoinette claims she has not gotten any of her 15.3 thousand pounds back and is skeptical that she ever will. Poor lady. She was vulnerable. Even the smartest people can be vulnerable. Yeah. I mean, over here in the States, we have things like, you know, attorney generals and things like that that you can try to lean on to try and get that back, but. Right, or at least get them out of business. Yeah, yeah, or, or push them out of business, you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, poor lady. Yeah, exactly. Let's switch gears here, Mel. Um, are you are you somewhat skeptical when you, you hear about new dinosaur bones or footprints or anything like that that, are, that pop up in the news? Um, you know, actually, no, I'm not. Even I'm when, not. And I think it's because my brother and sister-in-law, they're into that kind of stuff and they go digging and excavate. They go on excavations and stuff like that. Okay. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Even when they appear in America? Yeah. Really? Well, because they're all over freaking, um, freaking, hello. Nice language. Uh, <laughs> like Montana and Wyoming, because that's where my sister-in-law's from. Okay. So, okay. yeah. Uh, I mean, a, what about you? Wouldn't you think that they're in the States? Um, 
I don't know. There's for some reason alarm bells go off with me whenever I I hear oh brand new dinosaur bones or tracks or this or that. I don't know why. I I, I don't know. My spidey sense goes off. Because mm-hmm. I found that one. Oh wait, that wasn't in the states. I don't think. I think it's like Sue or something. It has a female name. It's not Peggy. I think it's Sue. Okay. That's been tra- a traveling exhibit. Mm-hmm. Um, crap. Now I don't remember where they found it. I thought it was in the States, but maybe not. I, I can't tell you why and, and why I can't put my finger on it, but it, it's just, uh, I, I just, you know, when, whenever there's, it, maybe we, maybe there are things that are still buried that need to be found. Maybe there, it, it just to me, it seems like in the year 2023, you would think we've found everything by now, but maybe not. Maybe I'm the, maybe I'm the ignorant one. Um, mm. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, there's, a, there's a mainstream news story out there. It came out of Newsweek that dinosaur footprints have emerged amid a severe drought in Texas. Uh, dinosaur footprints from millions of years ago have been revealed in the midst of Texas's severe drought conditions. The 113 million-year-old footprints were discovered last year in the Dinosaur Valley State Park in Glen Rose, when the Paluxy River's water levels decreased mid-severe temperatures. These footprints were previously unseen, hiding below the waterline. This year, they were once again visible, as the state is once again hit by intense drought conditions. Tracks are once again visible this year due to the drought, and researchers and volunteers have worked to clean and record more tracks at various sites around the park, Park Superintendent Jeff Davis told local news outlet KSAT. These dinosaur tracks were made by, now this is going to be tough because this is a, a, a genome of uh, dinosaur I've never heard of, Acrocanthosaurus. Okay. Which is a carnivore that lived from 113 to 110 million years ago during the Aptian and early Albion stages of the early Cretic, Cretaceous uh, period. Never heard of that before. Hmm. It was one of the largest predators of its time, although not alive at the same time as the infamous Tyrannosaurus rex. The Acrocanthosaurus nearly reached the same height. So it's a big one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the only thing I have to say. It's a big one. Uh, there are also other footprints in the Dinosaur Valley State Park that are easier to spot when the water is low. Uh, there are footprints of the Sauroposeidon, which is a type of sauropod known for leaving trackways across Texas, Oklahoma, and Wyoming. New discoveries have also been made this year. Uh, two theropod tracks were also found, one on top of the other. These tracks were also revealed when the Paluzzi River declined. When these footprints are below the waterline, the sediment that usually f- uh, f- or rather that fills usually renders them invisible. When the water dries up, however, they can be excavated. Being buried under sediment helps to preserve the footprints. Uh, both this year and last year, near the entirety of Texas was in some form of drought condition or abnormally dry. Latest data from the U.S. Drought Monitor reported that 62.10% of Texas is in a severe drought. The decline of the Paluxy River isn't the only consequence of the drought. Severe lake levels have plummeted, including the Canyon Lake in Cornell County, or Cormel County, I believe, uh, which, or is that Comal County? It's Comal County, uh, which recently reached a record low of 
892.65 feet. Uh, it goes on a little bit here, but it also mentions that a shipwreck dating back to World War I was found at the bottom of the drying Neches River, hmm. which is interesting. Uh, drought-stricken reservoir Lake Mead, as we know from past stories, which borders Nevada and Arizona, has also revealed a multitude of human remains. Most of these were discovered last year when the reservoir was the lowest it has ever been. Uh, if you remember the humans in a barrel story from Lake Mead from last year. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So I just looked it up real quick. It was Sue that, oh, okay. See, so that's kind of what that Yeah. Was. Yeah. Um, it was Sue, the dino- dinosaur that was discovered in South Dakota oh, yeah. in the 90s. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah, I, I don't know why. It, it, I, I mean, now that it explains a little bit in the article, I get it. I, I get mm-hmm. where you can find those tracks. I don't know why I, I find, I, I guess because living in Minnesota and, and you bring up the, you know, the, the climate, I guess, I guess we have such cold climate up here that to me, you know, dinosaurs being such a... a Tropic, tropical type animal. Right. But I mean, was Minnesota always cold? Yeah, that's, I mean, you bring up I mean, a good point. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it's, it hasn't, it probably hasn't always been that way. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just to me, and the, the, the earth used to be a hotter place. Right. I, I get that. And, you know, with the ice age and everything, uh, everything cooled down considerably. But to me, it just, I don't see this as, I'm, Again, my limited experience and my limited, uh, my limited life, I just, it's hard for me to wrap, wrap my head around this area being that tropical, mm. you know, especially with all the flora and fauna you see around Minnesota. Yeah. I just, no, I mean, I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. Maybe I'm more open to it because of my sister-in-law. Probably. So, yeah, yeah. and my brother. Yeah. Especially when you, I mean, you know, you grew up here in Minnesota for a little while. You, you get it pounded into your head about... You know, Native American culture and, and the different, um, I shouldn't say pounded into your head, but that, that's, it's kind of, it's, it's a huge part of your schooling when you're young. Um, the different flora and fauna that are here in the state, mm-hmm. um, you know, from everything from oak trees to birch trees to pine trees and, and that we have a very Nordic history, Nord- yeah. Nordic and Native American history. Mm-hmm. So to think, oh yeah, dinosaurs ro- roam this area 110, 113 million years ago, however many million years ago, hundreds of millions of years ago, you go, well, not really, because there was <laughs> it's Nordic and Native American. Why would there be right? You know why? Why would there be dinosaurs? So to me, it's just it, it's hard for me to wrap my head around that. I guess right. Yeah. So there you go. Speaking of things to wrap your head around. I'm going to show you another picture here, Mally. Okay. Uh, I like pictures. Wildlife Photographer of the Year asks, is this a ghostly face or a fish? Oh, my. Yeah, isn't that a picture? Yeah. Yeah. I'm assuming it's a fish. Well, it... it, One uh, of those ugly ones that are found, like, in the depths of, (laughs) like, where no human can go. That's right. That's right. Uh this might be another one I might post uh, the, the link to on the description of the show. The image appears to show an enormous scary face when suddenly emerging from the ocean. Uh, but what you're actually looking at is a stargazer fish, which has buried itself in the sandy floor of the Mediterranean. Uh, the photo was taken by Pietro Formis of Italy and is among several to be highly 
commended in this year's Wildlife Photographer of the Year. Uh, Mr. Formas uh, explained that he doesn't normally take photos for competitions. He submitted his image because he liked it a lot. <laughs> that was the quote. I just <laughs> happened to like it a lot, uh, but didn't expect to win any commendation. He says, I'm super happy and I'm counting the days for the ceremony. I think that I will see most of my, I will say colleagues, but they are my heroes in the top of photography. So I can't describe how happy I am, Mr. Formas said. The overall winner of the Wildlife Photographer of the Year competition will be announced at an award ceremony on October 10th. The annual Natural History Museum exhibition showcasing 100 photographs chosen from the thousands that entered the competition will open the following Friday on October 13th. will then go on tour around the world. Uh, Atlantic stargazer fish, whose Latin name is Uranoscopus scaber, are also called because their eyes stick upwards. There are also predators, and in order to catch their prey, they hide under sand uh, with only their eyes and mouth visible, that's what you can see in Mr. Formas's photo. So I think I will yeah. post this on the. On the it's an ugly looking fish. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll post it on the description of this program so you can click the link and see it for yourself. Mr. Formas went on to say, "To me, it looks like a voodoo mask or a human face, and those are species that I like most—the species that have a human-like face with big eyes and big mouth. It's a beautiful animal," he says now. <laughs> The face only a mother would love. No, I guess. It didn't look too beautiful to me. Um, <laughs> Mr. Formas explained that by using concentrated light from a flash, a slow shutter speed, and deliberate movement, he managed to photograph the stargazer almost illuminated in the clear blue water. Uh, for me, it's like a waterfall. And then from behind, you can see the scary face. I took a few different images, but this one I prefer, he went on to say. Underwater photography has almost become an obsession for Mr. Formas, since his father, also a photographer, took him diving and changed his life. Going in the water and taking pictures of all the beauty, it's something that I feel privileged to do. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to post this one as well on the description of this this program. Look at this picture one more time, Melly. Take a look at that. <laughs> Isn't that something? Uh, it is ugly. It looks it looks like a movie poster for a horror film, yeah, doesn't it? It it is ugly. Yeah, it's an ugly. Uh, I don't know how Mr. Formas can say that's beautiful, but that is not a beautiful pick. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> well, we're going to switch gears from scary fish to a scary situation with your pets, and that that has everything to do with their final moments, Mel. Mm. And uh, there's a story out there that the only reason I pulled this is because, you know, we do deal with death on this show and we deal with it quite a bit. Right. But I have a hard time with death with animals and death with humans. Yeah, it, it, it is a difficult situation. And, and there's a vet out there that explains what pets do in their final moments. And it is devastating. You know, a lot of pet owners, when they, they go to put their animal to sleep or they feel that, you know, their animal is suffering and they need to put it to sleep. A lot of them leave. In fact, mm. according to this vet, 80 to 90% of pet owners leave. No, you should never leave. Right. And that's that's the thing. If you're, uh, how's, what's a good way to put this, Mally? If you are, if you feel like you have the courage to do the right thing for your pet, then you should have the courage to stay with your pet. Yes. Through the entire I agree process. 100%. Yeah. I know it's not the easiest thing, but. Life isn't yeah. easy. Exactly. That's right. Life isn't easy. 
Uh, losing a dog or cat is a painful and unimaginable experience that most pet owners have gone through in their lifetime, and animal lovers suffer the most devastating heartbreak when their beloved pet has to be put down, and it can be particularly heart-wrenching after that final goodbye. Some stay to witness their pet's final moments. However, others turn away from the devastating event. But a vet has revealed the heartbreaking things that pets usually do before being put down. And it's all caused by their owners, is what the vet is saying. On Twitter, a woman named Jesse Dietrich uh, shared her vet's response to a question where he was asked to pinpoint the hardest part of the job. She wrote... He said when he has to put an animal down, 90% of owners don't actually want to be in the room when he injects them. Uh, so the animal's last moments are usually them frantically looking around for their owners. And to be honest, that broke me. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Jesse went on to say, and for this reason, I'm literally going to be cradling my homeboy Rick when his time comes with all his favorite toys and endless ear scratches at the ready, regardless of how distraught I am. Mm -hmm. Another Twitter user who claims to be a technician at a vet clinic shed some light on the heartbreaking claims. She said, I'd say 80% of owners want to be there, but we give them an injection to make them sleep first, uh, basically surgically, surgically anesthetized, so the transition is that much smoother. And when owners don't want to be a part of the actual euthanasia, they stay for the sedation part. So at least they are there with them until they are sleeping. Makes everything so peaceful, well, as peaceful as they can be, I guess. That was the quote from that vet tech. Uh, the tweet, which was shared in 2018, received a strong response, mainly from people who were very upset. She apologized to everyone, saying, didn't mean to break anyone's or everyone's hearts, just wanted to raise awareness. I'm so sorry. I mean, think about it, because that animal is in a strange environment. Mm -hmm. You know, it just, yeah. And that's you the, need to be right there. Even though it's hard, you, you need to be right there. And that's the last thing that poor pet is seeing. Yeah. I mean, think about it. As a human, if you're in a strange environment and there's no one you love that's with you, you're only surrounded by, you know, doctors that you don't know very well. Mm -hmm. I mean, hello, it's the same thing. Right, right. Two stories left, Mal, to today's... Um Said dumb crime, stupid criminals. Today's uh, supernatural news. Uh, well, I hope these put me in a good mood because you're about. To, I'm like teary eyed right now. Oh no, no, no! These will put you in a good mood. Uh, these have to do with different animals that decided they wanted to be in some place other than their natural environment. Okay, ready for this? Yes. We start with a curious deer who strolled into a Washington candy shop. <laughs> My kind of deer. That's right. Evidently, the uh, deer had a sweet tooth. Uh, the owners of a Washington candy store shared security camera footage of the moment where a sweet-toothed deer decided to wander into the business and browse the sweets. Jen Strobel, owner of Buddy and Howie's Candy Store in Ocean Shores, posted photos and video to the store's Facebook page, showing the deer peering in through the open door and calmly coming inside for a closer look. <laughs> <laughs> the deer appeared transfixed by the store's taffy boat display. I wonder what the deer is thinking about when it sees a taffy boat. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I mean, I'm intrigued when I watch them pull taffy, so. Mm -hmm. Oh, I am too. I could watch it for hours. Uh-huh. That yeah. and fudge making. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, uh, the owner of the store uh, said he came in and the only damage done was he might have got a piece of wonderful taffy. Aw. Oh, the deer got some taffy. Cute. Yeah. 
Uh, the deer left the store on its own after a few moments of browsing the video shows. That's so cute. I got a, I got a picture here. That the, here's the, the deer looking at the taffy boat. Aw, yeah, very cute. That. Isn't, that, isn't that cool? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the deer got to see the taffy boat. I wonder which piece he picked out. There's a lot there, though. <laughs> yes, why are you visioning yourself like swimming in it? Yeah, I just see myself. <laughs> like Willy Wonka? Yep, Woo! <laughs> just see myself stripping down to my boxers and jumping in that thing. <laughs> yeah, delicious taffy. Did I tell you I have taffy at my bedside? case my sugar no. sugar dips yeah oh because it's it's not only easy to chew but it, it i uh-huh. mean the sugar hits you right away so nice hey have you ever been to the largest uh candy store in minnesota yes yeah yeah is that place cool oh that place i is, did some major financial damage there yeah we call that the diabetic coma place yes yeah. <laughs> and it's like the it's like the um uh what am i trying to think uh ah the doctor who phone booth yeah where it's small on the outside but you get inside and you're like holy crap this place is gigantic it doesn't look that big from the outside and they added on in the last few years yes yeah they added a whole new section a whole new wing mm-hmm. yeah but they have everything there i mean yeah they do there's not a candy you can't find there mm-hmm. yeah and they do have a tardis on the inside yes that's yeah. right yeah it's uh back it used to be that it used to be, it's where the Japanese food is now. Yeah. Candy. Yeah. Yeah. They moved it, I think, because it used to be the back left corner. I know because when I took my knee caddy in there, I had to try and negotiate that. Corner. Uh-huh. It was kind of tough. Yeah. Yeah. It's in that circular part. Yeah. Yep. Now. Yep. It's in the oh Oh, so they moved it to the circular part. Yeah. It's in the circular part. Hmm. Like the back when you come in and t- I think to the left and then you go all the or no to the right and then you go all the way straight back and then it's that circular part. It's there now, I think. Yep. Yeah, so if you're ever, folks, if you're ever in Minnesota and want to go to Minnesota's largest candy store, you can look it up by that. It's in southern Minnesota, but it's. Yeah, is it like Jordan or something? Yes, it's in Jordan. Yep, yep. But, oh. But they have so stuff. Good. I mean, they have chips and dips and you name it. It's just cash only. Have you ever had their pies? No, but I got oh. their, was it Rice Krispie bars? Yeah. Yeah, no, I was eyeing up the pie, but then I knew we were already going to have dessert because we went before we had a family thing. Mm-hmm. And so, but no, I was looking at the pies, but I think I ended up getting Rice Krispie bars. Their pies are to die for. They and are. Apple Crisp. Did I get Apple Crisp? <gasps> I might have you? gotten Apple Crisp. Really? How was the Apple Crisp? Never had it. Yeah, it's good. Well, it, you can't go wrong with Apple Crisp. No, you Hello. Can't, you can't. It's it's so good. We're getting to be, we're getting into that season too. I know. I'm so excited. We're getting to apple orchard season too, which uh, is, with the donuts. Uh, mm. What's the what's the apple orchard out in White Bear Lake? There's one out uh, in White Bear Lake that's just amazing. That's where my dad gets all the pies for the holidays. Okay. Yeah, they're really good. Uh, I can't wait for that. But yeah, they they make a lot of good stuff. Cider. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Apple pie. Love cider. Yeah. Oh, my God. You and I just love food. We always get off topic and sit there and drool. Yeah. See, that's... <laughs> you me and, fall foods. Mm. You, me, and Bruiser. We always get on this food kick, and I think that's... Hey, I'm telling you, we need to do a show on food. I know. I think as long that's... as it doesn't have onions and mushrooms, we're good. <gasps> you don't like onions and mushrooms? No. Since yeah. when? It's a tech... Since forever. It's a texture <laughs> thing. I can't do it. Can't do it. 
So when you when you go to uh, Philly to do your uh, cheesesteaks, you do them without uh, do them without yep. onions. Just give me the meat and the cheese. Okay, so you're without. Yeah. So are you whiz without? Whiz without. So do you do provolone or do you do whiz? Oh, you know what? I've done both. Okay. It threw me when you said whiz. I was like, what? Yeah, yeah. Whiz, <laughs> I was whiz. thinking peeing, and I'm no, like, ah. no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said whiz. I'm right. like, ah. that's how you order it. Whiz, whiz, wit, whiz, without. <laughs> yeah. No, it's been a long time though. Yeah. Since I've had one of those, but yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a picky eater when it comes to certain things. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, that's what we need to do on the road. Oh, oh. And just, and just yeah, haunted, haunted restaurants. I thought, didn't they have a TV show like that? Probably. I, th- I could have swore. Trucks. I could have swore somebody did a podcast that was haunted restaurants. Oh, probably. But they wouldn't I'm do sure. it like we would. I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah. Drooling. Yeah. yeah eating right? with our mouths full. Or, or eat, talking with our mouths full. <laughs> yeah. Drool cups around their chins. Yeah. yeah. Bibs. <laughs> Bibs and drool cups. Right. That's what we ought to name it. Bibs and drool cups. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> On today's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Bibs, drool cups, and talking with your mouth full. Oh, you know what made me drool not too long ago? <laughs> What's that? Um, is it? Oh, gosh, I just forgot her name. Uh, she was passing out toffee or caramels. It starts with an F. Oh, Faye. Faye. Yeah. I was like, it's not Fern. It's not Fran. Faye. Yes. Yeah. Very sweet lady. But yeah, yeah those caramels. <gasps> totally drool. I got a hold of one second hand from somebody. Oh, oh, she gave me two bags. <gasps> you got a hold of two bags? Yeah, she gave them to me. And I got her zucchini bread. See, I'm not a big so fan of zucchini. So forgive me for having a brain fart and for not saying Faye. Yeah, so you couldn't even remember her name and she loaded you down with Well, goodies. no, I know I, her name, but I'm getting old. Me, I had to roll somebody and, for one caramel. <laughs> oh, she should have come to my room. I was scoring. See? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that caramel was amazing. Oh, so good. She makes it every year. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's good mm-hmm. stuff. Although I'm not a big yeah, fan of zucchini. I didn't, I, you lost yeah, me. Yeah, but it that. didn't have a zucchini taste, and you couldn't see it at all. Mm. Like, you know, like sometimes you see like the shredded part. Uh-uh. Yeah, yeah. It tasted more like banana bread without the strong banana flavor. Okay. It tasted like one of the breads you get at Starbucks where it's, they say it's banana bread, but there's not really a banana taste, you know, and they say it's lemon bread, but the lemon bread part of it other than the frosting, does it really taste lemony? Okay. It was like that. So there's no zucchini, like, All right. taste. Okay. Yeah, it was so just, freaking good. Zucchini, mm-hmm. I can't do green peppers. Green peppers taste like dirt to me. I don't like green peppers. Yeah, I can't. I don't like red peppers. I don't like yeah. any kind of pepper. Yeah, no. Yeah, I can't do it. Blech. Blech. All right, we're in agreement there. Yes. And I don't get what the fascination is outside of, like, when you go to Philly and you order a cheesesteak, there's no green right. peppers in your cheesesteak. That's a, that's a, everybody else in the nation puts green peppers in their cheesesteak. No. That's I don't a know. sin. I, it is. It's a huge Just sin. give me meat and cheese. I just yeah. want meat and cheese. Yeah, meat and cheese. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I'm a simple girl. Yeah. Me too. Um, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a simple girl too, damn it. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, I don't know. We did get on a tangent there. Yep, sorry, it was food. No, that's, that's okay, but it's food, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. See, Bruiser and I get on a barbecue kick, and it's just... It's, oh, yeah. Yeah, we, 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 we don't I stop. do like barbecue. <gasps> oh, I tell you. 
but I don't like coleslaw on my barbecue. No, you know some people put coleslaw on their barbecue sandwiches. Yeah, that's a, nah. That's a Carolina thing. That's a that's a yeah. southern thing. Yeah. 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 Nope. No, thank you. Did I? Uh, I've told the story before on the show, but did I, did I ever tell you about the the sales guy who came into um, the later days of KLBB and he he came from North Carolina and uh-uh. we told him we were going for a Mongolian barbecue one day. And we uh-uh. asked we asked him if we can bring him back anything. I never never told you that story. No. Okay. Just real quick before we get to our last story. Okay, so uh, in the later days of KLBB, before we started Darkness Radio, we uh, I was I was managing KLBB. I was, I was the operations manager, and they had a sales manager come in to manage the sales staff. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he came from Davidson Media's parent company which was in north carolina to, to train these salespeople, and so when he came he came in the the main ops guy from north carolina was in too my boss and we were going over to khan's mongolian barbecue for lunch okay and we we're gonna delicious t- right right so we we're gonna go over to khan's and and have a sit down lunch we we're gonna talk out you know different things about you know our our cluster there in minneapolis and we said to him, hey, we're going over to, to Khan's Mongolian Barbecue. Do you want anything while we're over there? Because, you know, you could, you could fix up a plate and bring it over, right? Mm-hmm. And he goes, you're going to what? We said, we said, we're going to go get Mongolian Barbecue. Do you want anything? Well, he didn't understand what Mongolian Barbecue oh, was. Oh, right? okay. And he goes, Mongolian Barbecue? He goes, why don't you make me one of them barbecue sandwiches and put some slaw on top of it? <laughs> <laughs> like wrong barbecue <laughs> wrong barbecue but i just thought that would be funny to imagine a mongolian barbecue sandwich with some coleslaw on top of it uh-huh because it just would taste horrible yes that's all mongolian barbecue sandwich with some slaw on top of it so that was the joke around klbb for about a year give me one of those mongolian barbecue sandwiches with some <laughs> slaw on top of it anywho yeah so there you go so Mally, but there's probably not a lot of people on, that know what Mongolian barbecue are. Well, you there know is, excuse me. Well, it doesn't matter. We're not proper on our English here. Um, <laughs> but well, yeah, no, because Mongolian barbecue has become huge over the last twenty years in different states. Yeah, but I didn't. Yeah, but I did. I only knew of it because of Minnesota. I didn't know. I had never heard of it before I moved to Minnesota. Really? Mm-hmm. See, everywhere I've gone. I, I've, I've thought, you know, yeah, it's got to be a, just, you know, cons has got to be a regional thing, right? And then you you go to different states and they're like, oh, no, we have a Mongolian barbecue restaurant here, but it's this chain or that chain. Okay. And although they have different spins on it, it's essentially the same thing. It's, it's you know, meat, vegetables, maybe noodles, like noodles um, or cabbage or whatever. And it's mm-hmm. cooked on a stone grill, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's essentially the same thing, right? Right. Um, and and people go, oh yeah, no, it's great. We love it, you know. And you're like, oh, so people have heard of this, you know? Yeah, because I don't think I have any Mongolia restaurants near me. No. Mm. Hmm. Well, we barely have any here anymore. I mean, there's one. Oh yeah. Yeah, cons all but closed up except for one one uh, location, which is a shame. Because mm-hmm. it's good food. Although I'll tell you, if you ever need to get cleaned out, folks, Khan's Mongolian barbecue. <laughs> I saw that cabbage. 
<laughs> I tell you, it'll uh, it'll go three in a minute. <laughs> you don't buy Khan's Mongolian barbecue; you rent it. <laughs> and if you're going to the if you're going to the uh, proctologist, <laughs> you don't need to drink the magnesium. <laughs> you just go to Khan's the night before. Mm. You'll be ready for your test in the morning. Just saying. <laughs> Didn't mean to get graphic there, but hey, it's a it's a shiny review for cons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just looked it up. I don't have any near me. Huh. Probably the nearest one's like 20, 25 minutes away. Well, that's not bad. Yeah. yeah. But if you, I mean, if you're like craving it and stuff, I'll find something closer. Yeah, yeah, true, true. And it it probably holds on a little longer than cons, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's also who will rate, we'll rate all these, we'll go to all these, like, restaurants and rate their food and stuff. Mm -hmm. But then we have to rate, like, bathroom issues afterwards. <laughs> we'll call it. Like, we'll rate their bathrooms, and then we'll rate the, <laughs> like, oh, what kind of, do they use two-ply, four-ply? <laughs> You know, is it well lit? Is it clean? We, and then we'll talk about like how long did it take for us to for it to leave our system? We call it slideability <laughs> in the in the business. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> slideability. <laughs> On a one to ten slideability. <laughs> <sighs> All right, I digress. Ten being extreme mudslide. One being, <laughs> yeah. ah, I kept it for the night. You know, oh. so yeah, there's that. There's that. Uh, for our last story here, Mally. <laughs> <laughs> we just totally got way off track. Yeah, it's an. So I apologize to everybody. Don't hate me. No, no, we don't hate you. Not at all. Uh, for our last story here on on the big show on Supernatural News Wednesday, uh, we're, we're going to talk inspirational story here, and we're going to talk about a dog that just couldn't say no to rock and roll. <laughs> That's right. You you might have heard the story about Storm, the dog, who decided to sneak into a Metallica concert. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, when, when the call of rock and roll happens, Mally, much like the call, call from Mongolian barbecue, uh, one cannot resist the, the urge. Um, and it just so happens that Storm, who is an adorable German shepherd, snuck out of her Inglewood home there in California and enjoyed a Metallica concert at nearby SoFi Stadium. Uh, and is back with her owners now after being spayed. I didn't know that this <laughs> this was a result of going to a Metallica concert. Evidently, when you get caught and brought to the pound, they automatically uh -huh. spay you. Oh, I didn't know that. Spay or neuter you. <laughs> it just happens. Oh. Um, that's a hefty price to pay in order to go see Metallica. Yeah. Well, the way tickets are nowadays, though, you might have gotten off <laughs> with a better deal <laughs> of paying for a ticket spaded rather than... <laughs> Probably, yeah, right. The $350 ticket. I wonder if they charge the owner back for that deal. How did the dog get through, get past security? That's a good question. Like, you can't even bring a purse in to watch concerts nowadays. Right? You got a dog going through? Right, right. Maybe they thought it was a service animal and just let them in. Oh, could be. Could have been. Uh, though it's unclear how exactly Storm got out of her home on August 25th, although there is another story that says they left a gate open. Oh, okay. And that storm got out that way. Her owners were amused by her fun night out. Uh, we don't know how she got out, it says in this in this story, although I read a separate story that said they think she got out of an open gate. 
Uh, we checked our cameras and we didn't see nothing. Good English there, Kathy Villa told KTLA. <laughs> uh, she and Airbeth Hurtado found out the pup had gone to the heavy metal show like the rest of us. Seeing the photo of Storm sitting among the crowd watching the band. And it's the cutest photo ever. I'm going to show you this photo. <laughs> have you seen the photo, Mally? Yes, I have. Yeah, of Storm just sitting there. Yeah. Tongue, tongue wagon. Mm-hmm. Singing Master of Puppets. Um, I don't know that that's the song she's singing, but it could be. Uh, Airbeth went on to say, I kept reading the captions and I was like, dude, she was really there in a seat. Like if she had bought a ticket, <laughs> Villa said. Uh, we were laughing, Hurtado said. We were like, how did she get in the concert and actually sit in a seat? Uh, how did she get past all of the security and the gate and the metal detectors and everything? And I'm pretty sure it was super crowded. I'm thinking she probably, she might have snuck snuck in like one of the back. Uh, like the tunnels, like the underground tunnels? Yeah, like the loading docks. Yeah. She had to have. Uh, so she probably just squeezed her way through the crowd and sat down in a seat. Uh, she's a good <laughs> dog. She sat in a seat. Uh, Storm is described as a calm yet playful dog, so Villa and Hurtado were also surprised that she managed to, managed to sit, sit in a seat at all. They, they said she's hyper in one of the stories I read. She's mm. really hyper. Um, Villa said, I'm just shocked that she wasn't jumpy. She likes to jump. So she should have been at a House of Pain concert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she should have been jumping around. Uh, as for Storm's musical taste, Villa and Hurtado said they think Storm is a fan of music. Uh, she should she should be a musical dog. My family always plays really loud music in the afternoon, so I want to say it wasn't something that was out of the norm for her. But I would say at an actual concert, yes. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, Storm was reunited with her family the following day after being taken to a shelter. She had a great time listening to her favorite songs. This is according to a release from Metallica on social media. They said her favorite songs are Barks Eterna, uh, Master of Puppies, and The Mailman That Never Comes. <laughs> it's a play on words of their own hits. Right. Um, very cute. Very cute. So, yeah, but they actually, I was reading further into the story, and they they spayed her before they sent her back with her owners. Her owners actually recognized that she was in the, you know, she was in the crowd, and then they got a hold of somebody at SoFi who said what's what shelter they had brought her to. So they went over to the shelter to pick her up. They were worried sick about her. Right. And uh, went over to the shelter, picked her up, and found out that she had been spayed. Um, and, and Bob Barker was somewhere from in, in heaven going, see, I told you spay and neuter all your pets. Yeah. And, and then they, uh, and then they went and picked up storm and brought her home. Well, hopefully they weren't going to breed her because then that right? would have sucked. Yeah. I mean, I think all, if you're not going to breed them, they should be neutered and spayed and whatever, because of, you know, to decrease the chance of cancer right. in the female dog. So, I mean, they should be, but they should also have permission from the owners before they do that. Well, in this article, it mentions that she's a German Shepherd, but she's actually a rare breed of German Shepherd. Oh. Right. Which got me thinking, just like you mentioned right there, Mally, that, you know, maybe they were meaning to breed her at one time. Mm. And the shelter, you know, just automatically spays and neuters whatever dogs come in. What if but do all states up? do that, or is it that a California thing? No, no, it's thing? just a California thing. Okay. Yeah, just a California thing. Um, as far as I know, 
Yeah. But um, yeah, it. I I thought well, maybe they screwed something up there. Right. Yeah. Mm. Um. Yeah. I, I that was a little. Uh, I I got to thinking that too. Well, what if they wanted to breed the dog and you guys screwed that up? Right. You know that uh, that could have been an expensive proposition too. Right. I mean, to do it that quickly. I mean, the dog was in there less than twenty four hours. I thought it was three days, but oh, was it three days yeah. that they were at the shelter? Oh, okay. I thought it was like the next day that the dog got rescued. Let okay, me, I misunderstood. Yeah, let me see if I can find the article from because there was an article from the Mirror that actually interviewed the family, um, and that was that was actually pretty a pretty in depth. Um interview with the family and yeah here it is right here uh and they i think they said that they had gone three days without being able to find storm and okay. in that they had let me see it says yeah they're, they're talking about how the hell did she get in there and and yeah here it is right here uh they went on or Beth went on to say we started calling the dog pounds and found the one who had picked her up from the stadium. Storm was so sad, she started crying right away. She wanted to come home. We had to get her fixed, and then we were able to pick her up on Monday morning. So they required that she get fixed. Oh, in order to be picked up. Yep. Oh, okay. Uh, she was a little sad that first day we got her back, but by the next morning, she was perfectly fine. Okay. Uh and then they said, we're making sure to keep that gate closed. Uh, right. Yeah, because she got out through the gate. So, yeah, interesting story indeed. But, hey, she had a fun weekend. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so interesting little story about how, you know, if you don't uh, watch your pets, they'll end up going out and partying without you. <laughs> exactly. So there you go. Uh, I just, I'm curious, Mel, if, uh, if your dogs got out, what concert would they attend? Um, probably like new wave. <laughs> new wave. <laughs> probably. <laughs> They're all about the Depeche mode. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm usually playing. Pet shop boys. Yeah. All that stuff. Yeah. That's probably what they'd go find themselves. And the funny thing is, is so I live in the downtown area. And we have a concert venue, probably, I would say, maybe five blocks from my house. Mm -hmm. And they have all different kinds of bands and stuff. So I could see my dogs getting out and just hanging out by the door. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I think if the chipmunks ever got out of the yard, you know, chipmunks don't go any further than 50 to 100 feet from where they're born. But I think if uh -huh. they got out, like... I know Wicket would go to a Twins game because he'd want to hear Dick Bramer's voice. I don't know uh -huh. what it is about Wicket, but he comes, he'll come out of the den to hear Dick Bramer call a Twins game. <laughs> it never fails. Maybe he has a comforting voice. I think he does. I think he, mm -hmm. he has a voice that will smooth, er, smooth over the animal kingdom. Um, but whenever I put on Dick Bramer's voice, he comes out to listen to Dick Bramer. I don't know. And then the other two, I think, would either go to a uh, Mammoth WVH show. Uh, they'd go to see uh -huh. Wolfie Van Halen play or uh, to I an Ice Cube concert. Oh, yeah. there we go. Because they're angry little sons of bitches. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> yeah, I, I think that's probably what they'd go see. So, <laughs> Ice Cube. <laughs> yeah, probably an Ice Cube show. So, that'd be it. Yeah. So I, that's that's all I can speculate for pets as far as gotcha. what they they sneak out of the house to go see. So. So that'll do it for today, for today's show. Got a big show on tap for tomorrow. The Quick Attack Ape Cat, Mally, <laughs> which sounds like a, <laughs> that just sounds like a lyric from an Elton John song, doesn't it? Click Attack. Kind of, yeah. Cat. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, the Click Attack Ape Cat, UFOs and Sasquatch, and what it all has to do with Mount Adams in the Washington area. We'll talk about Margie's Outdoor Store, how you can get a hold of an adventure map, and how you can go see all of these in person. Very cool. Yeah. James Shubsky is our guest tomorrow on the big program. Uh, next week, Adam Barry. Oh, is it his new book? Yep. We're talking about his new Very book. Very cool. Yeah. Which will be available at the end of the month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got a good month in store here on Darkness Radio. Awesome. Yeah. So lots of good, lots of good guests, lots of good stuff coming up in the next month here on Darkness Radio. Want to just tell you again, folks, we appreciate you so much and appreciate you uh, listening to the program. Want to remind you to try not to try not to sit on these programs for too long. And here's here's the reason why. Uh, I know you like to binge these programs that you like to. Uh, you know, listen to these programs and, and binge them while, either while you're at work or working around the house or doing whatever. Uh, but we want to get credit for these programs as soon as we can, especially with our advertisers. That's what keeps us on the air. Uh, if you could listen to these programs within two weeks of the release date, we appreciate it. Uh, that way we're able to get credit with our advertisers and they keep coming back and they keep our, our show on the air. So if you could do that, we appreciate it. And uh, again, we love you. We appreciate you. And thank you so much for being uh, faithful listeners to our program. So there you go. Uh, Mally, uh, what you got going on? Uh, nothing much. Getting ready for the fall season. So starting to buy my Halloween decorations because we're going to change it up this year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're doing Beetlejuice. Oh, very nice. Yes, yes. So I'm excited about that. I've got to put the clothes that I was selling at the Michigan Paracon. I've got to put that up on the site. And yeah, so busy, busy. Family reunion, all that good stuff. Very good. And of course, the site is paranormalgirl.com. And we'll have a link yep. to it on the description of this program. If you want to check out all things that are Mally Fox and all the great things she has on that website, by all means, paranormalgirl.com. Thank you. Absolutely. So that'll do it for today, folks. We'll see you tomorrow for James Shubsky and the Clickitat Ape Cat UFOs and Sasquatch. For Mally Fox, I'm Tim Dennis. Thank you so much for tuning in to the best in paranormal podcasting. This has been Darkness Radio.